Seven points clear at the top of the championship table. Three wins on the spin. What a difference a week makes. Welcome to this week's very happy Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Loads of positivity to get stuck into. I'm Dave Freezy. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. Joined by Paddy Dabbitt and Connor Southwell to look back on a 1-0 win over Rotherham which has made the whole Norwich City world seem very bright as as we're recording here. A lovely spring Sunday morning and uh, full of the joys of spring, isn't it, Pat? What were we, as in the Norfolk nation, worried about, you know, when <laughs> we went at Stokes, sorry, we went at Swansea a couple of Friday nights, feeling, no, this could be quite tough from here. Um, and it felt tough the following day when Brentford went and won and then, you know, eventually knocked Norwich off top spot. But... I don't know. I'm funny enough, I've just written something. It's like the top of the championship has just spun on its axis in the last two weeks, 10 days. You know, Norwich are winning games and scoring goals, more importantly, because that was the issue with their blip, if you want to call it, one defeat in one league defeat in three or four games. Um, but then, bizarrely, you know, Brentford and Swansea have, have completely hit the wall, possibly more so in Brentford's case, losing three on the spin, unheard of. Worth reiterating, prior to that first defeat at Barnsley last Sunday, Home, home to Barnsley. They were longest unbeaten run in English football, 21 games, league games. Uh, and now they've lost three on the spin. It's just remarkable. <laughs> and then Swansea, the baddest, miserliest, if that's a word, defence in the championship, um, completely shutting teams out, have gone to Huddersfield and shipped four goals. It's just, uh, well, you couldn't make it up really, could you? And then allied to that, of course, Reading and Bournemouth a little bit further behind, but still in the mix. Both lose as well. Um, and the upshot when the dust settles is, as you rightly say, Dave, on this sunny Sunday morning, Norwich are seven points clear uh, and look like they're only going to get stronger. And certainly in Brentford's case, they have some serious questions to ask. And even Swansea now will have to respond when they play next um, because that will be a shock to their system, given how much what they've been doing is based on defensive resolve. To ship four is, uh, I mean, I haven't looked at the goals or looked at the, I think they did have a man sent off, so there might be reasons for it. I don't know if they had players injured or whatever, but ultimately that at this stage of the season is not a good signal. So, yeah, um, let's not let's not try and anoint Norwich quite yet. As Daniel Farker was quick to remind us, they've only got 64 points. If they don't get another point, they won't get in the playoffs. But uh, I don't think anybody, anybody on planet Norwich believes that's going to happen. So. Um, Right here, right now, it looks like full steam ahead for the Premier League. Absolutely. All looking good. Um, we'll come back around to the game in, in just a minute. Uh, of course, should have been more comfortable. How many times have we spoken about Norwich games this season where they just should have had that added gloss? But uh, first thing, Mr Southwell, happy birthday. Your your 21st birthday on, on Friday. Uh, looks like your, your other half made you a, a very nice cake. Uh, do, you have, do you have a nice day? Yeah, it was okay. I'm not giving her credit for the cake first and foremost. That was um, that was done externally. Um, so <laughs> I'm not. She's she's getting absolutely no credit for the cake beyond maybe the the, the flavour of it. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. Nice chilled one, as you can sort of understand in the current climate. Um, I think the most exotic my day went was visiting a, a different brand of supermarket. I won't name which one, but it's the orange one, um, uh, which is is a bit for, for sort of further than we we usually go. Um, and then sort of a nice pizza in the evening. So it was it was nice and chilled. But yeah, good day. I, I always feel like my birthday gets overshadowed a bit because my mum's is tomorrow as we record this, so like three days after mine. So it, it, my cards aren't up for long. Let's put it let's put it that way. But um, yeah, all, all, all good. Um, I know there's some controversy about the cake, which if, if you haven't seen, there's a picture on Twitter. It's uh, it was a, a nice lemon cake, had lemon curd in the middle, um, some nice lemons decorating it on top as well and um i, I am a big fan of a lemon cake and, and lemons in particular i think they're quite i'm going off on a bit of a tangent here but i think they're a bit of an underrated fruit i can i can pick up a nice segment of orange and, and, yeah, and right, really right, never right. no. enough, enough. this isn't bake off south well it's not bake off <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so there you go yeah so 21 years ago you were your mum's ultimate birthday present then that's uh that's not half bad um, but there you go, 21, and you've already covered Premier League and Championship football, so that's not bad going. My my 21st birthday was slightly different, thanks to a rather horrendous dirty pint that my mates put together, um, as uh, <laughs> as um, North Horsham boys like to do uh, when <laughs> when we celebrate the big ones. Uh, Pad, what was your 21st like? 
Yeah, I just about remember. Yeah, I was at university, so uh, yeah, there was plenty of alcohol involved. Uh, I'm getting a flashback to three o'clock in the morning in a nightclub <laughs> with my head in my hands. So we'll move on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, otherwise, I I have braved the lockdown razor again uh, or not razor trimmer again but the, the hair is gone as you can see on the video verdict on our youtube channel it was starting to get a bit long and getting a bit annoying but the, the most exciting thing to happen in in our lives in our lockdown lives as we still are is we let the uh, we let the cat out for the first time let her outside for the first time the last couple of days uh, just like sort of training her into it and this morning we let her out she was desperate to get out again um you're supposed to sort of do it before you give her breakfast so that she comes back for the food and within a few minutes, she'd shot over the next door neighbor's fence. And we <laughs> we were feeling very nervous about where she was coming back because um, we haven't got sort of a proper embossed collar and stuff yet. But uh, thankfully she did. But I just went downstairs to make a coffee before we started recording. And she sat at the uh, French doors and <laughs> looking out longingly at the sunshine. So uh, that was uh, that was an exciting start to the day. But to the football and Connor, as as we said, um, 1-0, Timmy Puki, 15th goal of the season. But yet again, it really should have been a lot more uh, of a comfortable afternoon, shouldn't it? Yeah, and if, if some of these chances start falling to Mario Vrancic's right foot, um, as in his right kicking foot, then then maybe Norwich will, will start winning games a bit more convincingly because he seems to be the guy who the, the best chances are, are falling to. That one uh, a couple of weeks ago against, who was it against? Um, where he made run and then shot wide. Um, all the games are kind of merging into one. And then, um, of course, yesterday with the, the ball that got dragged back to him, that, that he, he side-footed wide. And there were, there were numerous others as well, but... Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of a nice position to be in, I guess. So we're talking about Norwich maybe should be winning these games more convincingly rather than winning them at all, which is perhaps where we were sort of a week or so ago, which is the positive. And, you know, if, if you were to slip into manager cliche, you'd say, well, at least they're creating the chances in the first place. And that's that's kind of the difficult bit. And um, hopefully the, the, the clinical side of things will improve in the weeks to come. Um, but in terms of a performance, I think, Daniel Farker called it pretty much spot on in his in his post match comments. They should have won more convincingly. Um, they were uh, they went into game management mode in the second half, but even then, really um, struggling to think of a, a, a big save that Tim Krul saved. I mean, Max Aaron's blocked one. Rotherham hit the bar from an excellent shot from the edge of the area, but beyond that, they had lots of territory and lots of. Um, and lots of action without really creating too much. So that's a testament, as I'm sure we'll get into, particularly given the defensive changes, a testament to the way Norwich are managing games at the moment. And um, I said to you boys after the game, I don't think if that's two years ago in maybe the 18-19 the season, whether they, they come away with that with a 1-0 win, maybe it's a bit more frantic and they concede and then they probably do have the ability to score another goal. But um, the fact they are keeping clean sheets and they are defensively resilient is meaning that now they are scoring goals as well, as we've seen in recent weeks. Suddenly their goal difference looks a lot healthier as well. So um, it, it all feels very positive at the moment and and, and that's very good. Um, equally, we, we know what the championship, and we saw it with Norwich, we've now seen it with Brentford, maybe starting to see it with Swansea as well. It can just catch you on the chin when you least expect it. So um, they're, they're going to want to maintain those quality of performances and the consistency of it as well, because the pendulum has truly sort of swung. They now have the momentum and, and the form and, and, and they're now the, the team to be shot at. Yeah, I think it was the Middlesbrough game, wasn't it, when Vrancic went through? But also in the um, in the Stoke game, he had two big chances, didn't he? Um from uh, from Max Aaron's sort of swing crosses in, but it didn't matter too much on that day. We'll come back round to Mario though, because um, I think he's an interesting one at the moment. Daniel did speak about him a, a bit ahead of the the presser, but Pad uh, Timu Puki just um, all of a sudden in, in a seam of form, isn't he? After looking um, a little bit of bereft of confidence and, and and rhythm, he's now got four goals in in three games, and um, probably again should have had more yesterday. But fifteen goals for the season, he's he's chasing up towards the top 10 all time in Norwich City's rankings, isn't he? So um, it, it's great to see. And, you know, if he ends up with 20 goals this season, as, as he should do from this position with 15 games to go, then he's had another very good season for Norwich. What, Whatever, you know, you want to say about the actual performances. Absolutely, yeah. And what has sparked this spell? Literally a tap-in, shoveled over to him from Emi Buendia. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't miss past Angus Gunn. Um, only just over a week ago, it, confidence. It clearly has come down to confidence because now he looks a different player. Did anybody, either us in our privileged position inside the stadium or anybody watching last yesterday or maybe even listening, fear there was going to be any other outcome when, you know, Campbell steps over that pass and Pookie's got 35, 40 yards. 
out empty space with a keeper to beat. I, for one, didn't think it was going anywhere other than the back of the net. And and it also then popped into my mind later. If you contrast that with, you remember Man City the final day of the Premier League season, he had a very similar chance. I think it might have even been nil-nil at that stage or, or Norwich were one down, where he's gone through Edison to beat and you never really fancied him. And that was off the back of a prolonged spell where he wasn't scoring goals. He looked a bit as if the exertions are caught with him. A lot of football he's played, as we all know. Um, and I put those two incidents alongside each other. And, and for me, it's just confidence. He looks a confident player. I think the Stoke week was big for him, that full week where he could just, bear in mind, he came off the back of, a, as Daniel rightly pointed out, after the Stoke game. Really, he's been out for three weeks with that side issue, three and a half weeks, uh, because there was no Hugo, because Ida wasn't really ready. He had to basically go again after a day or two's training. And and, and it looked like that That really that was like the pookie if you think about the Middlesbrough game you think about the Millwall game even the Swansea game that was kind of the pookie we saw the back end of last season where he just looked leggy the final decision whether it's the mental side or just just that act wasn't quite sharp enough and you know he would take just a fraction that's what it takes a fraction too long and the defender would get back and shut the door now um, after that full week leading into Stoke and then getting off the mark against Stoke he does look back to his best, and uh, it's a testament to him. Um, Daniel Farker was effusive yesterday. He said he's the best in the division, and he says the way he's going, he's he's almost unplayable now at this level. Um, so for me, it's great to see. I, you know, I've expressed concerns that I thought maybe that was it. two seasons ago was literally just the best period of his career. He'll never attain those heights again. And I think he probably won't do. I don't think we'll be when the dust settles, we'll be talking about a 29-goal season this time around. But your point is valid, DF, that if he gets to 20, because they're defensively a lot better this time around than two years ago, 20 goals in this con- context is probably just as good as 25, 30 goals because Norwich aren't having to score three and four to win games. You know, as yesterday proved to the nth degree, you know, you get one goal this team can grind it out and, and keep a clean sheet. So, yeah, great to see. And it, it just transforms Norwich because, you know, if if you've got a player at the top end of the pitch, you can score a goal. Um, it just embellishes all the work of a Buendia account. Well, the two fullbacks are flying on now. Um, it's almost like the missing piece of the jigsaw for me. And, um, and it's great to see because, you know, we will probably look back on him as, I mean, you talked about his position in the pantheon of Norwich strikers. I think, you know, whatever the numbers say, uh, when his career is over at Norwich, I think he will go down as one of Norwich's best ever forwards and certainly one of Norwich's best ever signings, given he arrived on a free transfer. And, uh, you know, it's great to see that there's still a few more chapters, it would appear, left in the story. It would, yeah. I mean, Connor talked to, about this during the game yesterday and said he probably he's a legend already, isn't he? He's, he's sort of a, a walking legend. Um, while we're talking, Connor's just forwarded on to me, uh, Sky reporting that Bournemouth will be appointing Jonathan Woodgate as head coach until the end of the season, uh, which is uh, a, it's a bit of a surprise, isn't it, Connor? I mean, all the talk yesterday was about Thierry Henry coming in and then they go and lose 2-1 to QPR and... Really, I mean, I'm just looking at the table here. They're 15 points behind Norwich in sixth place. They shouldn't be a problem for Norwich now, should they? No, they 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 shouldn't. I, I, you say about appointing Thierry Henry. I was listening to a, a radio program driving to Carrow yesterday, and it was it was pretty much dominated by the fact that Thierry Henry was the next born yeah. manager in waiting. So it seems a, a very sudden shift. But yeah, as as you say, the, the, it, it's probably a testament to how well Norwich have done, but equally how well this Bournemouth side have underperformed, perhaps under Jason Tindall, um, that there is that 15-point gap. Because you look at the Bournemouth squad on paper, and that is an elite championship squad, if not maybe a a, a lower Premier League one. So it's um, it's a really intriguing appointment. Does it suggest that maybe they're, they're lining someone up but won't be able to get them until the summer, whether that's Omri or, or elsewhere? But um, Woodgate didn't exactly pull up trays. I mean, pretty much dragged Millsbury into a relegation battle last season before Warnock got them out of it so yeah. a very intriguing appointment and and like you say they, they don't seem like a club that is really sure which direction it's going in after after Eddie Howe's departure and as we reported a few days ago Russell Martin apparently on the shortlist for the Bristol City job whether he would um, swap MK Dons or not at the moment they're still in with a slight chance of League One playoffs and I think they've actually overtaken him switching the League One table haven't they this weekend so um, I've, personally I, I'd have thought Russ is better off getting a promotion on his CV or or 
you know, getting a success on his CV before taking that step because he's still still a young man and still only really just sort of pushing through as a coach. But the big thing that he seems to be getting right is that he's playing an attractive style of football and that very much feels across the board in English football that the sort of old guard are very much being phased out now and that coaches really need to have that sort of style and that um, definite brand on on their CV to a certain extent. Um Equally, with, with Team Pukki's form, Pad, um, Emmy Buendia is uh, just ticking along really nicely at the moment, and as is Todd. And it feels to me that if those three, if that sort of triumvirate of Buendia, Cantwell and Pukki, if they fire and they all continue to play reasonably well, it's very difficult to see that Norwich don't go up now because they are pretty much Premier League players in the Championship, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. Um, injury and as Emmy underlined again, suspension. They're the only they're the only possible hurdles I can see now because if they stay fit uh, and they stay in this vein uh, and the team around them, I mean, we probably do need to dedicate a separate pod to Ollie Skip. I mean, that lad is phenomenal. Again, yesterday, second half, when Rotherham were pressing and were very aggressive and were committing bodies forward, the, you know, the willingness to t- take the ball in those tight areas in front of his back four and just retain it and, um, and just get Norwich going through the thirds. He's just, um, you know, he's he's something else. And and I think there's no there's no doubt in my mind that that he he has probably been the transformational element uh, this season because obviously a lot of those players were here last season. They were here two seasons ago. Um, but what he gives Norwich in terms of that defensive protection, and it is pertinent to discussing those three you mentioned because it allows. Daniel as a, as a as a coach to set his team up to almost give those three behind Pookie that bit more license because you know you've got an Ollie Skip and to a lesser extent a Kenny McLean and Lucas Rupp in behind offering that protection. Uh, you know, Daniel was more than correct in his assessment when when he was asked to discuss Gibson and Hanley as a pair. He, he broadened that out and he, he talked about the skips and he also talked about Wendy and Campbell and their work without the ball and, and that does get a little bit overlooked. But ultimately, if you're talking about those two, they are in the side to create to bring goals and bring assists. And certainly Buendia is leading the way. But but I think Cantwell's in a nice vein of form as well. Um, you know, Mark Robbins, we just come off the back of going to Com- well, going to St Andrews, to accurate, uh, to play Coventry midweek. And, and Mark Robbins said after the game he was unplayable. Uh, you know, he's just a, a top, top draw uh, player. And um, and there's no doubt Buendia's in the same category uh, and as is the GOAT. So, yeah, they are they are better than championship standard, and, uh, and as a result, we're starting to see that now. So um, keep them fit, keep them in Emmy Buendia's case away from uh, red cards, and uh, you know it, it, it is very hard, as objective as you want to try and be, and, and sort of not look at it through green and yellow tinted spectacles. It is very hard now at this stage. Um, the way Norwich are playing, um, the way. They've already got the points on the board, which is massive. You know, I know Swansea have got games in hand, but, you know, if, if you go into Huddersfield and get them beat four, then there's no guarantee they're picking up six points, I think it is, and they're two games in hand. So all the cards are firmly in Daniel Farger's hand. And uh, and given he's been over this course and distance two years ago and came out the right side, you know, it, it's almost impossible for me now not to see Norwich getting back in, in terms of the top two. Particularly as by the time we record the next pod, they should... They should, obviously. We can't avoid it. They are going into games against Birmingham and Wickham as clear favourites. Certainly shouldn't be losing. They should be winning both. They'd be on 70 points with 13 games remaining. You know, that they would base they would be in the playoffs almost certainly from that point on. So um, but we'll see. We need to keep trying to not get too far ahead of us. Following on from what Pad's talking about there, Connor, I think there's an interesting sort of narrative there in, in terms of the evolution of the central midfielders in, in in Daniel Farker's plan while he's been at Norwich. Um in terms of we pretty much always see what has always pretty much played 4-2-3-1. Occasionally flirted with 4-1-4-1, which is what he generally played in Germany with Borussia Dortmund's under 23s. And you could argue that even the 4-2-3-1, when they're on a t- in attack mode does become a 4-1-4-1, doesn't it? But anyway, Leitner and Tribal at the start of the Premier League season looked so good, didn't they? And then that went awry. The Championship title winning season, you saw at times a really good balance, but affected by injuries in terms of that mix with um, Leitner and Tetty at one point were very good, Tribal and Leitner. But now with Skip and McLean almost, we've seen that Daniels almost seemed to like, well, it feels to me that he's settled on the type of central midfielder that he wants in terms of 
it's got to be high energy hasn't it but also they both need to be willing to be sort of box to box midfielders yeah i think it's it's probably one of the main takeaways that he's 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 taken from that premier league campaign actually and and there were some quotes from him the other day weren't they who said he he basically felt like he was playing number 10s in those two midfield positions yeah. and, and and that's quite maybe how it's evolved if you look at norwich's side as a whole now they're, they're taller they're stronger they're more physical than perhaps they were two years ago when a lot of the the emphasis was on how technical they were and even when you think about his first season in English football and he, he tried with this 4-1-4-1 involved Harrison Reed and James Madison and Mario Vrancic as the midfield three and, and you compare that to now it, it probably shows how he has had to adapt and yeah I think I think you're right and it's, it's probably the reason why someone like Kenny McLean is so intrinsic to what they do because he supports both phases of play he's very energetic he gets up and down um, and, and they're not there to be spectacular or, or but maybe win headlines. They're there, I guess, in, in a very similar way to what Liverpool have, have done in, in recent years, which is they're not there to steal the show. They're there to be functional and they're there to, to support. And that's, that feels very much the direction they've gone in. Equally, they do have to still have those principles. If you look at Ollie Skip, the reason he's an upgrade on someone like Alex Tetti is his ability to play through the lines, his ability to find Campwell and Buendia in pockets of space, and as opposed to maybe playing the passes outwards and then Norwich having to work out to win. So um, it's it's a very minor shift, but it's, it's one that's made quite a big difference, I think. And then that allows Buendia and Campwell to have a bit more of a free roam because you've got that structure in the middle of the pitch. So it, it does feel like a, a real lesson that he's learned. It's, it's the reason now why he describes, again, as I'm sure we'll get on to, Mario Rancic as a number 10 and not perhaps as a, a number eight or a, a midfielder like we've seen in, in years gone by because it's a physicality point. It's a um, athletic point as well. You need to get up and down in those positions in the modern game. And, and, and that feels like if Norwich do go up, that would be maybe where they will have learned the lessons from last time. The fact they will have a bit more of a functional, maybe more variety in the midfield as well, as opposed to, because it didn't really feel like he had the options last season to maybe go a bit more defensive if he needed to, or, or, or be a bit more pragmatic with that midfield too, because ultimately he still had players like Mo Leitner or Mario Vrancic, who are very technical and, and, and don't necessarily want to engage in the physical side of the game. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point and it, it will be interesting to see what they do do in the summer um, if we're looking at a, a scenario where Ollie Skip does return to Spurs, which I think is, is probably highly likely, although Norwich do present a, a different challenge if they're in the Premier League. So it, it probably depends on where he feels he's at. Um, because I, th I think if, if he went back to Spurs, they would they would need another, I think, in, in that position. I think Jakob Sorens is probably um, a, a bit too... Um, a bit too early for him to be considered a, a credible option in the first in in, in the Premier League at, um, at where he is at the moment. So they probably would need to add, and then you, you're asking them again to to get the recruitment right. So it's going to be interesting to see what direction they they head in. Yeah, I, I suspect if things keep going to plan, that we may write rather a lot about Mr. Skip uh, this summer. It might be the summer of Skip. It could be a bit of a uh, after Norwich won the League One title, the uh, during the parade, it was Fraser Forster one more year was the song, wasn't it? As the bus careered through Norwich on the sort of title celebrations, and yeah, I can see Norwich fans really campaigning hard to get him back. But um, that that is probably for another day. But I, I would still be hopeful that there's a chance of him coming back. But certainly, I think Tottenham are going to want him back for pre-season to properly assess, particularly if Mourinho is still in charge. But um, as I say, that's for another another day. And that's a good point about the Liverpool midfield that that, that tally well and. It feels like the overall tactical tweak has been quite subtle. They have increased the physicality, but they've done it quite subtly. And we know that Stuart Webber loves his planning. And now that things are coming together, you can sort of see that his plan has has worked really well. And clearly, obviously, Daniel very much part of, of that planning as well. But um, yeah, interesting. Ben Gibson, uh, of course, has been a big part of that as well in terms of uh, bringing size, but he also has brought a, a real bit of technique to the defence. And Pad, we had a little bit of sort of minor drama in the build-up to kick off yesterday, didn't we? When um, when Gibson dropped uh, to the bench and then out completely. But um, what did you make of Christoph Zimmerman's uh, appearance in his wake, and 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 also what Daniel said about Ben after the game? Well, well, firstly on Zimba, I mean that's exactly what I would have expected. That type of performance, solid dependable, uh, unfussy. Yes, there was there was one uh, inevitable, probably, sign of rust in possession in the first half. He tried to turn back inside towards Tim Krull, got dispossessed. It didn't come to anything, actually. But other than that, um, perfect, perfect man to come in. You know, two seasons ago, he was, for me, almost a talismanic figure. It, it, at this stage, when it, when it got to 
right, you've got yourselves in position. Can you seal the deal? Him and Ben Godfrey um, just exponentially felt like they grew together as a pair and uh, wrote about it yesterday. You know, since then, injuries really have curtailed his involvement, um, certainly in the Premier League season. And then, of course, they've gone out and they brought in Ben Gibson in the summer. He probably still felt, you know, backed himself to to, to be one of the two centre-backs, but it clearly hasn't happened. Um and that's frustrating, as Daniel said. You know, you wait where he trains every every day. It's very hard to leave him out. But but that's a testament to how well Gibson and Hanley have, have performed as a pair and as individuals. And um, he would have been desperate to come in and not let anybody down because you can imagine. You know, he comes in yesterday uh, that they leak goals, maybe don't get the result. Then pretty much all the focus would have been on him. Um, so he was under a bit of pressure there yesterday, and I thought. Uh, after that one maybe error in possession, I thought he was he was what I would have expected from Christoph Zimmerman. And, uh, you know, it does underline for all the thrashing about we had about centre-back, certainly last season, and maybe even the start of this, when they allowed Godfrey to go Everton and more importantly, probably Tim closer to go to Basel and didn't bring anybody in um, off the back of what we all experienced last season in terms of Ibrahim Amadou and Alex Tete playing at centre-back. Uh, you felt they were a little bit light, but as we sit here now, getting into the final run, um, they've had more than enough at centre back, you know, because when Gibson has, has come out, Zimmerman goes in and, and proves himself a more than able um, replacement. And then in terms of Gibson, well, essentially, yeah, he just woke up yesterday morning. Daniel said felt a bit of a twinge in his back. Daniel put that down maybe to the the volume of games playing on not particularly great pitches at the minute as well. Um, but they've tried everything just to get him on the bench, but he just felt in the warm up he couldn't sprint without being in discomfort. So. As Daniel said, no need to risk anything. Omobama Daly came in on the bench. Zimmerman goes into the eleven. Probably a bit too early at this stage to sort of assess where he is in terms of uh, being available for Birmingham Tuesday night. But if it was just a back twinge, and to me, the fact that he was still able a few hours later to be potentially in contention for the bench, that doesn't scream that he's going to be probably a major doubt for Tuesday. But obviously then Daniel has a, has a nice little selection poser and he's got a few of them now in certain areas of the squad. Um, you know, no John Hugel in the 18 yesterday. They obviously felt they could give him another few days. Steeperman will come back into the equation as we move forward from here. Um, but I think the reality is, is because how well Gibson has been, I think if he's fit, he probably puts him back in and takes Zimmerman out. And that's harsh for Christoph Zimmerman. But ultimately, as Daniel says, he's not here to win the Nobel Peace Prize. He's here to win promotion. And, uh, and Gibson and Hanley, I don't think anybody would be unhappy if they're reunited at St Andrews. No, because Gibson is the outstanding passing defender in the division. Statistically, it's quite clear, isn't it? Although Grant Hanley's not that far behind him. So obviously there's an element of that being uh, Daniel Farker's style and, and the way they try to play football. Um, but Ben Gibson has been pretty exceptional. And, you know, what is the what is the fee? It's uh, about eight million, isn't it, to make it a permanent deal? So we're talking about a, a player who's worth a, a good bit of money, has been in an England squad before and has got the potential to to take to the Premier League like a like a bit of a duck to water, potentially. And particularly if Han, I mean, I spoke to Tim Krull after the game yesterday and he spoke so highly about Grant Hanley. I think that the quote was. He's gone up so many levels. I'm not even sure. He just he was just so he was just piling the praise on Hanley, really. And you know, I think Tim has come back from his from his injury. That's now six clean sheets in eight games. His his, his stats are, are quite ridiculous this season. But let's talk Mario Vrancic then. I feel a bit harsh. I feel like there's maybe a little bit too much focus being put on him because it's not like Mario's playing badly, is it? He he is very much in the thick of what's going on at the moment. But as that number 10 position, when you've got Kieran Dowell on the bench, when you've got Marco Steepman now closing in on a return to fitness, your stats have got to be there as well, haven't they? You've got to score goals. You've got to chip in with assists. Mario now hasn't scored a, a goal from open play since, I think, October. I think he's only scored a penalty since those late winners against Wickham and Birmingham. Assists, I think he's got three or four for the season. So, but the issue is, Connor, is that he has had the opportunities, hasn't he, to to have for that narrative to be different. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. And and yeah, I, 
I'm with you, really. It's it's a really difficult one, I think, to pinpoint. It was interesting looking back at, at some of Daniel's quotes on on Marco Stieperman and how he felt he was a bit of a wall and and he kind of Norwich can play off him and the physicality offers to Timu Buki. Um, and, and and I think there's 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 no doubt you don't really need any sort of scientific degree to to work out that Timu Buki plays better with. Marco Stieperman in, in the 10 than, than perhaps others that we've seen in that role. And it, it's kind of the one role of the, the team, the one piece of the puzzle, maybe you would argue now that left back position has, has been filled by Yanulis, um, that is kind of left unsolved, that they haven't really been able to to um, pinpoint down to an individual since Marco Stieperman two years ago. If you look at all the changes we had there last season with Stieperman himself and uh, Kenny McLean played there for a little bit, was excellent in that away game against Everton. But after that, sort of failed to... Uh, flattered to deceive really Andre Duda then came in and, and and again that didn't really work out and this season they've kind of tried to go back to Stephenman but obviously with the the virus and stuff that it's it's been very difficult so they ended up with Mario Vrancic and he's clearly a player with so much technical quality and he can unlock defenses and he does have those passes within him um, we saw one uh, earlier this season I think it was against Sheffield Wednesday when Josh Martin scored and it was an excellent pass um, we, we've seen numerous others bits of quality so there's no it's not a, a point about quality it's more a point about maybe the function of the team and it, it does feel slightly that um, the way Norwich play they, they essentially play with three number 10s because Buendia and Campwell aren't wingers in the traditional sense they they come inside and, and they want to play central and it's quite a narrow sort of attacking um, shape that Norwich have and then the, the fullbacks provide the width so in many ways it's it's a difficult role I think to succeed in in terms of output because you can easily kind of be overshadowed so uh, I can see it going back maybe to someone and whether Kieran Dowell is this person or not I'm not sure although I, I kind of got a feeling maybe he'll end up as an alternative to a Buendia or Campwell in those kind of narrow wide slots. Um, whether you need someone who who just brings legs and just brings physicality and in, in many ways, as we've just so, sort of spoken about the midfield, that will just support play and, and will chip in with stuff and just keep keep it ticking. I wonder if that's kind of where we'll head with it and it will become a bit more of a, a deeper number 10 with almost like an attacking trio um, of Puki, Buendia and Campbell. And maybe that's the way they solve it. I'm, I'm not too sure, but it's, it is a difficult one um, because Norwich are so reliant on, on Buendia and Campbell. And as, as number 10s, I, I think if you put either of those in there, then maybe you lose the threat that they have in, in wide areas. And we know how keen Daniel Farker is in terms of building attacks to use those two. So it's a really difficult dilemma. And it's, it's, not, it's not just a Mario Vrancic issue because there's been others in that position before who've had the same problems. Um, Beyond Marco Stiepman two years ago, no one's really produced the output or the or had the effect on the side that maybe you would hope for. So, whether it's a case of Marco Stiepman hopefully being f- properly healthy and, and, and fully fit, and he comes back in and and suddenly we see that spark again, I'm not too sure. But I think ultimately it will, it will probably be an issue that they will look to address if they if they get promoted um, again, possibly if if Kieran Dow doesn't kick on in in the next few weeks and months, he does need a good cameo performance and. You know, as we've as we've said before, it's it's not really happened for him, albeit he's only had limited minutes on the pitch. So it's an incream it's an extremely complex position to to solve. Um but I don't think it's it's a Mario Vrancic problem per se. I think it's more a positional structural problem, I I would say. Okay, interesting. Because for me, he's had enough chances now that he should have really nailed it down. You know, the the chance yesterday when Pookie gets to the byline, Vrancic starts that move. He puts it wide. He has to be hitting the target there. To to miss is poor. And he sort of slaps himself in the forehead afterwards, doesn't he? He knows how much of a big miss it is. Now, Pat, a couple of uh, issues in, in terms of your read on it. Do you think that maybe his contract situation is make, is contributing to him snatching at chances because he's desperate to, to get that goal? Because um, we know that Mario is a very popular player amongst Norwich fans. We all know he's a good player. We all rate him. We know Daniel Farker rates him. Um I can see Kieran Dow coming in at Birmingham because I thought in midweek at Coventry, Mario looked a little tired, looked like two games in the space of uh, what four or five days was a little bit too much for him. So I think that given that Birmingham part of the bus as well and aren't going to hopefully pose too much of an attacking threat, that could be a good game for, for Dow to come in. And, and equally, I, I don't think Steepman's expected to come in to contention before the Wickham game, is he? No, no, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, basically anybody who didn't see, he played just over an hour for the 23s on Friday afternoon. Um, and that was his first game in a Norwich shirt since Cardiff home win, which was December the 19th. So given you're getting on for two, well, just over two months out with a 
what was later diagnosed eventually as Epstein-Barr virus, uh, virus of the immune system. I don't think they will fast track him in terms of Birmingham. No, um, possibly an option Daniel might say for the 18, but even that, as they demonstrated with Jordan Hugo yesterday, he couldn't make the 18. Um, so I think it's probably Marco. You could probably count him out of the equation for, for Tuesday's game. Uh, so it is, it is going to be either. Yeah. As you rightly portrayed there, I think Mario or Dowell and, and, yeah, given Daniel was talking about Mario effusively on Friday, but he did make it clear he's not getting any younger, and the, and, and the sort of the physical toll is is why you know he is the one who makes way in a lot of these games towards the end, and and he did look a bit off the pace against Coventry. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Now, whether Farker looks at it and thinks maybe Birmingham won't be quite as aggressive in terms of uh, pressing in that manner and. And in that type of template, you know, he might be the he might be the one to sort of pick a hole in a well marshaled back line. But um, yeah, it's it is it's a difficult. One. I would completely agree with what Connor said in terms of it probably isn't per se about Mario, but ultimately it is because he's the one in possession at the minute. And until he does start weighing in with some goals and assists in reasonable quantities, we're going to continue to debate this. Norwich fans will continue to debate it. Um, and, may, I, I, and to answer your point, Dave, I think maybe that is where the pressure is coming from. If there is any self-conscious or subconscious at the back of his mind when he gets in these shooting positions, that he, rather than anything contractual, I mean, he's spoken about um, he's quite happy to park that and and you know have a conversation at the right time. Stuart Webber said to us that probably the March international break will be when he will sit down with Mario, with Alex Dete, with Michael McGovern. Um, so if you're Mario, you probably know now that that's going to be happening. That's that's a fixed point in the calendar. I think it's probably more just frustration with his own, with himself that he knows he needs to be contributing in a tangible way. Um, because if he doesn't, with Steepman very close to being back in contention, uh, for me, as soon as Marco Steepman, if it continues in this fashion, as soon as Marco Steepman, Daniel feels he's available to start a game, he will be the 10. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and maybe that's playing on Mario's mind that he almost knows he's on borrowed time here and every chance he gets from here could be his last. So he has to make the most of it. Yeah, that's. I think you can read that a bit from his body language at the moment, can't you? That, um, Yeah, interesting anyway. But um, I agree with what you said as well, Connor, about I could see Dowell eventually becoming more of a Buendia and a Campwell used by Farquhar almost as sort of the unusual winger they're almost like the number 10s played out wide aren't they he's talked about frank ribery at bayern munich made a career out of that didn't he and um we'll see because you can see dow's got the technique and you know he blazed one over at coventry after he'd come on didn't he when he you know if he if he'd have scored then then it's probably lift off isn't it he just needs that one big moment um just finally on this game probably uh you knew this you mentioned him a little bit earlier connor what did you make of his performance overall last two games um i spoke to him on friday uh, you can have a, a read of that at pinkin.com sunday evening we're putting out sort of the main uh, gist of that uh, interview uh, you can already have a look at that on the pink and youtube channel as well um, english is still a little bit limited but uh, very uh enthusiastic and confident talker but it seemed a very friendly guy and, and like he's he's enjoying getting up to speed so um do check that out but in terms of his performance last two games connor you've been pleased with what you've seen yeah massive step forward for me on on the first three and i think it just shows that when a player does come in, particularly from abroad, they do need that period, don't they, just to bed in and, and maybe understand the role a little bit. He was thrown in the deep end, which is, is as, as we've spoken about before, is a little bit rare for Daniel Farker to do to a, to a new signing. And, and he did have a lot of expectation on him as well, I think because of his, his footballing background, his pedigree. And I think we're beginning to see that that quality now. There is, I think when you watch him play, there, there are a lot more similarities to Jamal Lewis than, than perhaps we saw when, when Xavi Quintia played and it, it was maybe about technique and and, and cross and, and the quality of his crosses and, and set pieces. Yanoulis is very um, quick. He's very athletic. Um, he's a very good out ball on the left and he, he does allow Norwich to push those fullbacks really high. And we spoke about goal out, but I think that's a, a key reason to why they're now able to pose more questions than they were when Jakob Sorensen did a fine job at left back, although albeit a very different one to what Yanoulis is doing. So, um, yeah, I, th I think it, he'll be pleased as well because maybe it's, it's settled the nerves, I think, that we saw against Middlesbrough, definitely. Um, equally, I think that, that full week of training he had um, before the Stoke game really helped him as well, maybe understand it and maybe help his teammates understand him as well. I think there's a lot more passes into space and, and 
Norwich's sort of his colleagues kind of look like they know how to respond to him now when he's on the ball, which is which is good as well. But in terms of the way he 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 uses the ball and um and, and progresses up the pitch, it's it's very much he looks like a, very much a, a Daniel Farker fullback a, a lot more than than maybe Javi Quintier did in in the period that we saw at the start of the season. So I think he'll be pleased. I think Farker will be pleased, and hopefully he can kick on even further now. But this is a really good. If, if it does end up being a, a promotion campaign and he and uh, does end up along with Gibson signing permanently, this is a really good period for him just to understand English football because the Premier League is a different beast. But equally in terms of physicality, it, it's still very demanding. So this is kind of a, a good education for him and a, a nice period for him to bed in if, if that's the case. Um, but I, I think he'll be pleased and, and I think everyone at Norwich will be pleased with with his progress in the, in the last two games, which have been a major step forward for me. Yeah, I've been encouraged as well. I think, and and the big thing, as, as it feels like we said with Norwich on season, is that there's more to come from him, hopefully. I mean, even after the game yesterday, Tim Krull still said, I still think we've got a few more gears to go through. <laughs> so what a position to be in, to be able to be seven points clear with 15 games to go and be able to still say things like that. I mean, you never know. Again, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But at the end of this season, we could be talking about all sorts of records and, and, and special achievements, couldn't we? The way things are progressing. But um, one thing I did just sort of a, a bit of a reality check, really, um, is that next Sunday when we're all uh, or when uh, some of us, hopefully, or at least one of us, hopefully, because Wickham have got a tiny, tiny little press box. Um, when we're at Wickham next Sunday lunchtime, um, it will be exactly one year since the full house the last time there was a full house at Carrow Road since that 1-0 win over Leicester in the Premier League the Jamal Lewis lovely goal um pad what a year really i mean i know there was two away games after that the Tottenham game almost felt like a home game because there was what 9000 Norwich fans at that lovely stadium and then the Sheffield United match before football actually shut down for 3 months but it's just a depressing thought isn't it and i i I feel so sorry for the fans. It's such a big part of their lives missing at the moment, isn't it? And, and unfortunately, that we've talked about it as being a possibility throughout this season. It's now looking a probability that the next time that Norwich, that Carrow has a full house, is that the, the club are back in the Premier League. Yeah, and, and as a result, this will this will go down as the lost season in that regard. Um, and what a shame, because, because it... This season, if it ends up in some record-breaking numbers, and obviously if it ends up in another, we all hope title. Um, not to have had the backdrop of fans in the stadium, given you know the experiences that, that they were taking on two seasons ago. You know, we all know the games we can talk about. You know, Millwall at home, and towards the end of the season, Sheffield Wednesday, and Blackburn the night they clinched promotion. Um, sad. It's tr- well, I'm going to use words that probably shouldn't need to use in the current climate where we are as a society, but it is a sad, sad state of affairs. Um, and Roy, I was watching Football Focus a couple of Saturdays back and Roy Hodgson, Crystal Palace manager, was interviewed pre-match and, and he said something which charmed with me and, and they were asking about this old experience now from a manager and a player point of view and he basically said, quite honestly, that you, you almost get used to it, that you almost forget that there was a point when fans were allowed in the stadium and that if you take a step back and think about that statement, is ridiculous. That you know, we've almost conditioned ourselves to it. Whether it's players, managers, us in the media, maybe even fans now. Fans now, for the last as it will be year, uh, have known nothing other than consuming their football club through the prism of television or radio or following us through various social platforms. And um, you know, we all know football's place is fairly insignificant in the bigger picture of what's been going on as a society, but. You know, it, it does matter. It, Daniel Farker has talked often that we've continued um, and hopefully that does provide some sort of distraction, however brief, for people uh, and some enjoyment and some pleasure. Um, but it isn't the same. And and Hodgson is right. You know, it does feel almost like we've got to a point now where it is the new normal and that's not a place any of us really want to be in for any longer than we have to. But I think the reality is now, obviously, there's going to be a fresh wave of announcements in the next, as we record here today, next day or two from the, the government um, in terms of how they start to ease these lockdowns. But um, I, I don't foresee anything that involves fans back in for the rest of this season. So, uh, yeah, it may well be. We all hope it is, but it may well be the next time Norwich Carrow Road is full uh, will be for a Premier League affair. And uh, 
there's a sad piece of symmetry to that, but that, that's where we are. And, um, you know, let's hope that is the case because can you imagine? We hope it's the Premier League, but wherever it is, whatever league Norwich are in, the next game at Car Road with 27,000, you will need earmuffs because the decibel levels will be something else. Oh, man. It will be emotional. There's no doubt about it. There's going to be people crying the, the day we go back. There will be full-grown men. I may well be one of them struggling not to. <laughs> uh, because it's going to be an incredible day when it first happens. A nervy day as well. So I can't wait until we can start turning our attentions to that. But at least the the, the way the vaccine take-up is going and the way the COVID numbers are dropping, hopefully we can all start to plan ahead and think about things with a little bit of positivity. There's a few mentions about maybe the playoffs and the FA Cup final and things like that being used as tester events at Wembley because let's not forget the European Championship final is supposed to be at Wembley this summer, which is, I mean, just imagine if England won the Euros and in front of 5,000 fans or something. God, that would be a, a bizarre situation. So, you know, we've still got, we all need to be patient and careful and, and all those sort of things, Connor. But I I have to admit, I, I made a little bit of a uh, sort of harmless mistake at the end of the game yesterday. You boys had gone. I was the last one in the press box. I'd finished recording my video verdict. And obviously I don't have to wear my mask when I'm doing that because there's no one around me. I'm just in an empty stand. I forgot to put my mask on. I was in the press box on my own. So there's no one around. Uh, so I ended up walking back down, going through the press room and didn't see anyone. And then I bumped, saw someone coming the other way and I thought, oh, no, I haven't got my mask on. <laughs> so I, I'm we're sick of having to do that. But obviously, in comparison to all our brilliant NHS stuff and stuff, it's absolutely nothing. Uh, us wearing it for what four, five, six hours, whatever it tends to be. But it has felt like a, a very, very strange year, hasn't it, Connor? And the we did have that little taste as well, didn't we, when when... Norwich were lucky enough to be one of the clubs who had some fans in. Yeah, and and the difference that made even with two thousand was was ridiculous, really, just in terms of feel and atmosphere and and the lift it it gave the the whole occasion as well. And and yeah, the, the thing is, regardless of of what's gone on in the world in sort of years gone by, football's always been there. You've, it's it's always been a place where you can meet people and you can speak to people and for 90 minutes or for however long before and after the game, you kind of forget about everything. I mean, there's been some really horrific things, which, you know, we could list, but going to football on a Saturday has, has kind of helped people get through that and, and, and help people manage their their life through that. So it, it is a really significant part. And it's, it's hard to understand, I think, if you don't enjoy football and you don't enjoy watching football, you don't go to football regularly, perhaps what it means to people and, and the impact it has on, on people's mental health and their well-being. It's it's a real pillar of of people's weeks, regardless of how hard they've worked or or how bad a week they've had. It's it's always football on a Saturday, regardless of the result that, that picks them up. So it's it's been incredibly tough, I think, for everyone not to have that. And 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 you're right, it's it's almost I mean you you walk into Carrow now into an empty into an empty or well, four empty stands and it feels like um, normal. It feels like that's kind of how it's always been. It's weird if you see highlights of a game on TV where there's fans out. It feels like it was um, almost a, a different a different world. So you're right. The, the day we get that back is going to be some day. It's going to be some occasion. It's, it's going to be really special, I think, to be to be there and be a part of it. Um, and, and, and we just can hope that that is sometime soon. And yeah, it's, it's difficult at this moment because obviously it's, it's kind of, we're seeing things go down and there's a bit more positivity, but equally you have to still have that caution. You still have to approach it as if the numbers were as bad as they were a month ago. And um, I mean, my, my girlfriend works in a care home. So I, I've seen firsthand the, the work they do with, with, with their sort of carers who haven't been able to see family for, for a year essentially. And, and that's something that maybe they're going to have in the next month, which is, which is really special. And they're, they're pretty much all dementia um, sort of residents as well. So it's been equally difficult. So it's it's all about context and, and and whatnot and yeah football is a uh, an insignificant thing but they say it's the most significant insignificant thing don't they and I think that's that's kind of true because a lot of people do depend on it and yeah the day we we get it back um, normally is is going to be really special I think for for everyone. Strange times and um, we'll come on to the Birmingham game in just a minute, Pad. But um, I think I've just proved to myself that when. Uh, that day does finally arrive. I think I probably will be crying because I got goosebumps on my skin just talking about it then. And I don't know if you can get your personal YouTube stats, but I reckon I will have watched the highlights from the Man City game probably 20 times since the first lockdown came in, just every time, turning up the volume pretty much. Um, I, I, on the 
on the big TV in the lounge as well, get, get it from a PS4 so that I can have the proper sound and proper vision. And just to hear the full time roar, just to remind myself of what it is actually like and what it should be like, because that was an epic moment, wasn't it? And God, I can't wait until we can all be back together and, and start to hope for those moments again, that first full time roar. And when it arrives, it will be special. Right. Back to the football, back to behind closed doors, bloody football. <laughs> <laughs> and back to the same bloody stadium <laughs> that we were at on Wednesday night, Brad, um, to, to, to play the team who was supposed to play there on that terrible pitch. And Birmingham, Karanka just about hanging on. They, they did get a win yesterday, didn't they? They did. Yeah, Sheffield Wednesday, wasn't it? 1-0, well, no, yeah. Because yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was under some serious pressure there a week or two, but to the point where you didn't think he would be in charge when they got there. Just don't look at the table as it stands. I mean, Rotherham have got two games in hand on them, but they're... They're fourth from bottom. So, you know, it, it continues the theme that, you know, Coventry, Rotherham, Birmingham and then Wickham, teams with plenty to play for. Um, but by the same token, teams who really, if Norwich are right and the mindset is right and, uh, you know, there's no injuries between now and then, Norwich should have too much for these type of teams. They've proven it now. Um, and in both Rotherham and Coventry games, there were some uncomfortable periods. Uh, Norwich didn't have it all their own way, but... You know, and you would you would foresee that Birmingham may maybe something along the same lines. I'm just interested whether because I popped into my head earlier today actually that you know go back to the Cairo game, which we've talked about. Mario Vanjic, he, he was the one who settled that game, but that was the game where I don't think there's been a more ultra defensive approach from an opponent at Cairo this season. And then Daniel Farker said af afterwards, I took Karanka and actually apologised to him. He was almost embarrassed that it had to have been that cautious in their approach, essentially saying, look, we, we open up here, there's nothing down for us. We can't compete with you in terms of a game of football. So um, will we see more of that uh, when we go there on Tuesday? All given that situation I've mapped out in terms of their status in the league, they probably need wins now. I think the draw, although that said, they'd probably take a draw now if you offered a bit against Norwich, but they probably do need to be a bit more expansive on Tuesday night. And for me, that would play into Norwich's hands. I don't think they'll be quiet to draw a parallel with the tenants at St Andrews. I don't think they'll be as uh, willing to engage as Coventry were. So there won't be quite the oceans of space, you would think, for the likes of Wendy and the fullbacks and, and, and Cantwell to, to try and feed Pookie. But um, I still think Norwich will have enough because they've now hit a nice vein of potency in terms of the clinicalness. And, and Daniel talked about that lack of efficiency. I think it's there now. I think maybe not in terms of the goals to chance conversion, because they obviously, as we all have discussed, they should have scored far more than the one they got on Saturday. But uh, it's, it's very hard to see. But then, you know, with the caveat that it was very hard to see Huddersfield putting four on Swansea, it's very hard to see Brentford losing three on the spin. So you almost, almost always must put the rider in when you're discussing championship games. But, uh, you know, I think we'd be shocked if Norwich come away from St Andrews with not having added to their points collection. And hopefully that is a win. So, uh, yeah. And if they do that, I've just had a look at the fixtures. They actually play on the Tuesday night. And I'm pretty sure that Swansea, Bournemouth and Watford uh, and Brentford, in fact, all play on the Wednesday. So in terms of the, the shifting dynamic, if Norwich are 10 points clear when those teams rock up to their respective games on Wednesday, that's a hell of a gap. So what an incentive. Yeah, I'm just looking at it here. Brentford at home to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Watford go to Blackburn. Uh, doo -doo -doo, who else? We've got Bournemouth at home to Cardiff. That's all on Wednesday night. Uh, Reading do play Tuesday night. They're at Wickham, so you'd have thought they'll they'll win that one. But looking at Birmingham's place in the table as well, the teams below them have got games in hand. So Rotherham have got two in hand on them, and Sheffield Wednesday have as well. So they could be in real trouble if they don't get their act together. And uh, you know, what should be a big club and obviously spent a decent time in the Premier League. They won the League Cup, didn't they? What, 15, 20 years ago as well when Cameron Jerome was there? And, you know, for them to go down to League One would be a, a sad story, really. But um, looking at their totals as well, they've scored 20 fewer goals than Norwich and conceded 14 more. So <laughs> it's very clear who the favourites should be. And we saw that pitch. Um, I think it looked a bit worse on the TV feed, actually, on Wednesday night because it was raining and I think the floodlights were sort of reflecting off it quite a lot. So in the certainly the middle section, it almost looked like um, they were playing on cement. <laughs> um, but despite that, uh, I saw there was a really nice tweet we had to the Pink and Twitter account 
describing Wendy as assist for Pookie's goal as not a pass, but art, which it was. It was just perfect, immaculately played through. But um, really going into this one, Connor, Norwich knowing that whatever happens, they're going to be top at the end of the week, does in a, a certain extent take a take quite a bit of pressure off their shoulders and, and hopefully just allow them to continue in this vein of form. Yeah, exa- exactly that. I, I think that's that's key at the moment. That it's it's going to be the consistency of it because um, we kind of asked a week ago, didn't we? Okay, they've had a little bit of a blip. Now it's about how they respond to that, and I think they've they've responded pretty emphatically. So it's it's about continuing that and 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 continuing their their positivity and continuing to feed off that in terms of the way they play as well. And they've got plenty of players in form. We've spoken about um, Emmy Buendia and Timmy Puki. Todd Campwell is is another one. His performance at St Andrews against Coventry was absolutely superb. I mean, it's, there's few things more enjoyable on a pitch than watching Todd Campbell glide about when he's in the form he is at the moment. So um, Norwich need to need to capitalise on that and make sure they don't get a, a bump in the road or slip on one of these banana skins because um, it, what it does, particularly now, given what we've just spoken about, about fans not being at games, there is a bit more anxiety in, in, once you lose a game. Partic- there always is in the promotion race, but particularly at the moment, it feels like there's, there's a little bit more. Um, so they, they, they just need to continue doing what they're doing and, and that is going to be the hardest point because teams are now going to try and, and frustrate them again Birmingham undoubtedly under Ita Karanka will, will try and do that and it's going to be about whether they can keep their patience I think what was key against Coventry was they, they scored a, a relatively early goal equally yesterday it, it didn't allow those sort of frustration levels to to set in that's kind of what they need to aim for I think um, in these games against those struggling sides because then you you encourage them to come out and play and as soon as they do their space in behind and, and that suits Norwich and that suits how they want to play um, so if they can get into that situation and I'm with Paddy it's very difficult to see a situation where they leave St Andrews um, on Tuesday evening without a point or, or even three because Birmingham I think are, are, in, in many ways they remind me of maybe how Ipswich have been um, when, when they're in the championship progressively sort of falling down the table and, and ultimately maybe that ends with relegation I, I could see that happening with Birmingham just the way that the club has has, has been running the last few years, which would be a, a massive shame because it's a, a huge or it should be a huge football club because of the city and the fan base that it's got. Um, but Norwich need to need to look to profit on their downfall. I noticed um, yesterday that Sheffield Wednesday got a red card and it wasn't until after that point that Birmingham actually scored. So um, whether they'll be feeling a bit more confident by a win or not, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. Do I think they'll press Norwich in the way that other teams have? Not really. Um Norwich like to build from the back. It, it's easier for them. It makes life easier for them when teams don't press them and allow them to get a feel for the ball. It would be huge, I think, if Ben Gibson was back for this one, just in terms of the way the game is. Um, it's going to be difficult. Uh, away games in the Championship always are, particularly against the teams fighting for their life. They're more dangerous maybe than if you were playing a mid-table side. But, you know, let's be frank, Norwich have enough quality. And if they assert that quality, then they'll win the game. I think they, they've proven and what we in February now this season that, that that's the case if they are there with their best players on form um in form and 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 producing then then that tends to end with them winning football matches and I think this will be the case again on Tuesday yeah and it should be said as well that I don't think there's a harder working squad than Rotherham's who put you know Paul Warren gets uh, you know he probably gets a little bit more love from the Norwich support because he's a Norfolk boy uh, North Orsham boy, former Roxman disc player, of course, uh, went to the same high school as me, North Orsham High. So it's great, great to see that he keeps managing to get so much out of that Rotherham squad. You know, he really does drain every ounce of blood and sweat from them because they operate on such a small budget. They are a small club. And and the fact that they push Norwich so hard and made it so awkward does deserve praise. And I'm sure all Norwich fans would be very pleased to, if he could find a way to sort of scrape to survival but um good stuff boys thank you very much for that um i hope my uh, little uh, emotional uh, moment there didn't uh, end up making any, anyone cry but i think in the, in the moment i i've just sort of decided in, in my head there that when it does finally come back and we've got fans back that as soon as i can i'm going to book uh, one of the games off and so that I can go to a game with my dad and his mates and have a few beers and and sort of remind myself of what football is is all about so uh can't wait until that day uh, rolls around um of course we will do our best to keep you up to date with everything that we can as we have throughout this last frustrating year nearly a year now um 
all the latest in the Eastern Daily Press, Norwich Evening News, Pinkham.com. We'll have the pre-match press conference ahead of the Birmingham game on Monday and, of course, all the coverage of the game on uh, Tuesday night. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Thank you very much for taking part in all of our content. I just want a, a little mention as well to the official Norwich City sticker book. I am due any day to get my final eight stickers in the post, um, which I'll be very pleased. That will be one of my lockdown uh, achievements ticked off to have completed the book as I didn't uh, didn't collect the first time around, but I wanted to make sure I had that sort of keepsake of a completed book. Uh, pinkandshop.co.uk, you can get all the stickers and the book and everything there, and of course in all the local retailers as well. But for now, thank you very much for listening. On to Birmingham. Look after yourselves, stay safe, and we'll catch up with you very soon. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.